from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition. This memo was not law. This memo was politics. An explosive oversight hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee with Attorney General Merrick Garland. The nearly five-hour hearing was dominated by the Department of Justice November 4th memorandum, which Texas Senator John Cornyn today said had had a chilling effect upon parents exercising their constitutional rights. Did you consider the chilling effect that this sort of threat a federal prosecution would have on parents' exercise of their constitutional rights to be involved in their children's education. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton summed up the hearing today by saying this. This testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. That's not correct. Thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You should resign in disgrace, Judge. We'll talk with Senator Tom Cotton, a member of the committee, in just a moment. Also, we'll be joined later by Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, who said the FBI should be more concerned about China than parents at local school board meetings. She will also tell us about the measure she introduced yesterday to protect first responders and essential workers from being terminated under the Biden COVID shot mandate. And speaking of explosive, parents turned out in force last night at the Loudoun County School Board meeting. I'd like to tell you now, contrary to what a former president just said, This culture war isn't phony, and our outrage isn't fake. I was a parent during the public comment portion of last night's meeting. FRC's Meg Kilgannon is continuing to track the developments in Loudoun County, and she joins me later here in studio. Finally, my good friend, Kelvin Cochran, who saw this radical agenda coming all the way back in 2014 when he was fired as the fire chief for the city of Atlanta, for writing a devotional book for men entitled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? Well, he now has another book, and that book tells the story. Facing the Fire, the faith that brought America's fire chief through the flames of persecution. Chief Kelvin Cochran joins me later. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there. In fact, share it with your friends. And also tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, our weekly edition of Pray Vote Stand, a nation bordering on lawlessness. We're going to be talking about that tonight at 8 p.m. Be sure and tune in. Attorney General Merrick Garland faced another round of grilling today on Capitol Hill, this time before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And not surprisingly, most of the heated exchanges focused on the controversial October 4th memo, targeting concerned parents across America, which he repeatedly claimed is, quote, about violence and threats of violence, end quote. But Senate Republicans zeroed in on the true nature of the memo. There is a difference between law and politics. And General Garland, you know the difference between law and politics. Law is based on facts. It is impartial. It is not used as a tool of political retribution. This memo was not law. This memo was politics. Joining me now to talk about today's hearing is Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, whose final comments today was that the Republicans would get to the bottom of this in 15 months when they take charge. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, thank you for having me back on. Let's start right there. What do you want to know that the DOJ is stonewalling on? 
Well, Tony, this directive was an unprecedented assault on the rights of parents to go to school boards and express their opinions about their kids' education. Um, and the Department of Justice obviously was working in concert with White House political officials and liberals at the National School Board Association to write the letter that the School Board Association sent to the administration claiming that there was domestic terrorists at these school board meetings. Because you then have the Department of Justice springing into action with just four intervening days, two of which were weekends, Tony, right. weekend days, um, issuing this directive sicking the feds on these parents. Obviously, obviously, there was action in concert before the School Board Association issued its letter between the White House and the Department of Justice to prepare for this moment. Merrick Garland continues to conceal on whose initiative that School Board Association letter was solicited and how they moved so quickly. He said today it wasn't his own, so it's time that we get to the bottom of who is working on this at the Department of Justice and at the White House. And if we don't do it, while the Democrats are in charge, then mark my words, we'll do it in 15 months whenever the Republicans are in charge once again. Now, Senator, you asked specifically about some particular individuals working at the Department of Justice, whether or not they brought this issue to him. Um, you mentioned uh, in the hearing that you've heard from FBI officials regarding General Garland's memo. Can you share more about what you've heard? Um, we have the Deputy Attorney General just days after uh, the Attorney General's memo was issued. I asked her at the time, because we had already heard from um, sources in the FBI that the FBI had seen this letter on September 29th and kind of laughed it off um, as comical, that of course the FBI shouldn't be involved in school board uh, meetings that might grow somewhat contentious or heated. Um, yet they were overridden. Um, so I wanted the Attorney, first, I wanted the Deputy Attorney General to address that. She implied that there was no opposition. And then, Tony, we were deluged with calls from FBI officials who said that is not the case. So another thing we need to get to the bottom of is who in the FBI was consulted by the Attorney General or those responsible for this directive, and what did the FBI say at a time when the FBI should be focused on figuring out who's funding these, car, uh, these caravans coming to our southern border or cracking down on Chinese espionage, why did Merrick Garland disregard their advice and tell them to go investigate parents who don't like their kids being taught to hate America? Now, Senator Cotton, you also brought up another, I think it was a three-page memo, uh, that outlined federal crimes that the parents could be charged with. Now, when you asked the Attorney General about this, he said he had not seen it, didn't know anything about it. Tell, tell our listeners more about that uh, memo. Yeah, so we received uh, from sources, Tony, a memorandum uh, with a spreadsheet full of federal crimes, federal crimes that parents might commit at school board meetings, not state crimes, not disorderly conduct, um, not criminal threats, but federal crimes, Tony. And this was, uh, this, was, this was specifically focused on this issue of what's happening at yes. school boards? This was, yes, and it, it was a, a letter from the U.S. attorney in Montana to the Montana attorney general, to all Montana sheriffs, to all Montana DAs, to the Montana School Board Association, in response to, directly as a result of, Merrick Garland's directive. And it specifically references not 
meetings, not consultations, not coordination, Tony, but federal investigation and prosecution, and it attached to it a spreadsheet listing in detail 13 federal criminal statutes that might be used to target these parents. One of those statutes that Merrick Garland mentioned himself, and I cited, Tony, says the use of telecommunications devices to annoy the recipient. So think about that, Tony. If a parent or parental group posts on Facebook or other social media that they are dissatisfied with school board members, and the school board members find that annoying, Merrick Garland might sick the U.S. attorney on them. And I can just tell you, Tony, I don't think that the Montana U.S. Attorney's Office came up with that list on its own. I think that came from the Department of Justice. I mean, in fact, the format of that list, Tony, looked exactly like what we get in the Senate when we ask the Department of Justice for technical legal advice on statutes we're drafting. So we're going to get to the bottom of that as well. How is it that the U.S. Attorney's Office in Montana used the exact same format in great detail to send out to so many people in Montana federal crimes that you could charge parents with? Now, there was a, a distinction, a difference between the memorandum dated October the 4th, which the attorney general put out, and the press release announcing that memorandum. Uh, the announcement of the memorandum went further in detailing what the memorandum was going to accomplish. Yeah, and Tony it said it was creating a task force right. of the U.S. the U.S. attorney's offices, and the Civil Rights Division and the Criminal Division, and this was what's in that press release. It was not in the memo, but in the press release, including the National Security Division. Tony, the National Security Division consists of the lawyers at the Department of Justice who are engaged in counterintelligence and counterterrorism uh, matters. Why in the world would lawyers who spend their time trying to stop jihadists from attacking America or trying to track down Chinese spies, be pursuing parents at school boards. You asked the attorney general about that. What was his response? He has no good response, uh, Tony. He hemmed and hawed and beat around the bush because there is zero reason. Even if you think, even if you think it is an appropriate federal role uh, to be essentially spying on parents, who are expressing their opinions at school boards and perhaps pursuing them with federal crimes, why would it be the National Security Division? It's preposterous. It's only designed to do exactly what one of your opening clips said, which is to intimidate parents and to chill their speech. There's no other explanation. Uh, there, there is absolutely no other explanation for this. When you talk about, and I, I just want to underscore what you said at the very beginning about the time frame. I've raised that before. Nothing moves that fast in Washington, D.C., where literally in two working days, this has cleared the entire Department of Justice, and you have a memo coming out uh, based upon this letter to the President of the United States. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this was done as a political effort to respond to what they viewed uh, as parents getting, going over the line and horror of horrors expressing their opinion about what their kids learn at school, yeah. about whether their kids have to wear masks at school, about whether you should allow boys dressed as girls into the girls' bathroom. Because remember, Tony, the national poster child for these supposed domestic terrorists that have gone to school board meetings and threatened violence was Scott Smith in Loudoun County, who went to the Loudoun County School Board because his daughter had been raped. Raped, Tony. Uh, 
right. my boy dressed as a girl in the school bathroom, and the Logan County School Board and their woke superintendent covered it up because it would have interfered with their efforts to pass a transgendered policy during Pride Month. Yeah. You brought that up in today's hearing. And by the way, uh, we've only got about a minute and a half left. Uh, last week, speaking of this, you introduced a bill to prevent K-12 uh, schools, uh, K-12 through schools from facilitating or pressuring a child's gender transition. It's actually a bill that protects parental rights. Quickly tell our viewers about that. Yeah, Tony, there is a disturbing and growing pattern across America's schools of uh, woke teachers and administrators encouraging children to so-called transition and honoring that at school, calling them by their preferred name, their preferred pronouns, encouraging them to use different bathrooms and, and dress uh, in different ways than when they come to school, and then, Tony, to conceal it at home. They don't put these files in the central files of the school, so they don't say it's covered under Family and Educational Rights Act. And they intentionally obscure to those parents what they're doing at the school. Parents should always know what's happening at their kid's school. It's amazing what is happening in our schools. It's the Empower Parents to Protect Their Kids Act. Uh, I assume you have some things on your website about that. We'll, uh, we'll put that up on our website so people can see more about it. Thank you, Senator. Tony. Always great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be on with you. All right, Senator Tom Cotton of uh, Arkansas. By the way, you can find out more. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Coming up, I'll be joined by another member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, to get her take on today's explosive hearing. So don't go away. More Washington Watch to come right after this. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and to the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit 
or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org slash worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me again remind you tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. We'll be taking a look at the crisis at the border. All right, considering how today's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing went, Attorney General Mary Garland might be thinking about issuing a memo of what should be considered threats against the U.S. Uh, Attorney General by senators. Uh, General Garland, you have weaponized the FBI and the Department of Justice. Your U.S. attorneys are now collecting and cataloging all the ways that they might prosecute parents like Mr. Smith because they want to be involved in their children's education and they want to have a say in their elected officials. It's wrong. It is unprecedented, to my knowledge, in the history of this country. And I call on you to resign. I have to say, watching a good portion of today's um, hearing, it was a deer in headlights look. I think he was, uh, in fact, I was on Capitol Hill doing the hearing on the House side. Last week, I think the uh, left him shell-shocked, and he did not look uh, like he was ready for today's hearing. Joining me now uh, with her take on today's hearing is U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who uh, asked some very pointed and probing questions of the Attorney General uh, Senator, welcome back to the program. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Let me just start with this. We were just talking with uh, Senator Cotton uh, about the hearing and the memo. Uh, what's your take on today's hearing? How'd it go? Yeah, you know, I have to look at it and say there were a lot of questions that Merrick Garland left unanswered. When I asked him who wrote the memo, he couldn't answer the question. So I asked him a second time. And he still didn't tell us who wrote the memo. So I will put it in writing and submit the question to him for a written answer that uh, we want to know who wrote the memo and want to know if it was written in the White House. Was it written there at DOJ? Who brought it to him? How did he sign off on this? What that process was. Likewise, He had been saying that he did this in response to the National School Board Association memo. Then, in answering me, when I questioned that, he said, and news reports. So then Senator Cruz and I each, questioning him, tried to find out what news reports. So I asked him to 
put in writing the news reports that he gathered his information from about all of this violence and to submit those to us so we will know where it was that he was getting this information and then he was deciding to issue this memo that in essence labeled parents as domestic terrorists. Several uh, times today he was asked about this memo from October the 4th, the fact that the predicate for that memo was the letter from the National School Boards Association, which has basically pulled back their memo or their letter to the president yes. saying it was, uh, it was they shouldn't have done it. They should have consulted with their membership. Uh, but he was asked if he would then rescind his memorandum as a result of right. the school board. What was his response? Uh, well, he doesn't intend to rescind it. And he just would say, well, there is no place for violence. But, you know, you have to say, okay, uh, no place for violence. Everyone agrees we don't want to see violence in our country. Everybody can agree with that. But then how do you equate that response with what is going on and happening because of cartels? and the violence that they are taking to our city streets. Because with an open southern border, we are seeing record amounts of fentanyl and heroin and meth coming onto our nation's street. Every town is a border town. Every state is a border state. So you have to say the cartels and the way they are carrying out their operations coming into our country. They're vicious and they're violent. Why is the FBI not spending their time going after these cartels? Why are they not going after gang members who will actually murder people that will go in there and disrupt cities that have gangs that go around stealing and destroying property? We would like to see the FBI Put some attention on that. This defund the police movement has caused much crime to move onto our city streets to the point that whether you're talking about CRT in the schools or crime in the communities, uh, safety of children in uh, schools, that security moms are standing up in record numbers to protect their children to protect curriculum that is being taught to their children. You know, I also found it very interesting, Senator Blackburn, that there was a lot of discussion about uh, the FBI's investigation of January 6th, and, you know, Democrats very interested in making sure that they pursued all of that. But uh, I believe it was Senator Cotton, I may be wrong, could have been another senator, asked about um, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and all of the rioting that took place in the summer of 2020, and the general's response was, well, that was under the previous administration. Well, so was January the 6th. Uh, what's the difference between the two? Well, and the thing is, they want to focus on one day, but they don't want to focus on a summer of activity where there was destruction. I've talked to people that have moved away from Seattle and from Portland because of the way those communities have just been overtaken by violence in those communities because the tremendous amount of destruction of property 
that took place, uh, the destruction of a federal building, uh, the attacking of a federal building. And, you know, Tony, it brings you back to the fact that what do people want to see? They want to see fairness. They want to right. be able to see equal justice for all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Senator, we're up against a break. Can you stay with us? Because I want to talk about a bill that you introduced yesterday uh, to protect first responders and essential workers. Right. All right. Yeah. Folks, Senator Marsha Blackburn is going to stay around and we're going to talk about a bill she introduced yesterday to protect essential workers, frontline workers, first responders from being terminated as a result of the Biden COVID shot mandates. I mean, think about it. We're looking at some places where a third of the workforce for certain law enforcement agencies, medical, uh, other essential workers could be devastating to the supply chain and to the economy and to our national security. Stick with us. We're coming back after the break. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Right. Tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, for the weekly edition of Pray, Vote, Stand. Again, it's 8 p.m. You can tune in, PrayVoteStand.org. Senator Marsha Blackburn introduced the Keeping Our COVID-19 Heroes Employed Act. This uh, is to save essential workers from being fired due to President Biden's sweeping vaccine mandates. And uh, thankfully, she stayed uh, with us to talk about it. Senator, thanks so much for sticking around through the break. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. I mean, this just defies 
logic. I mean, we've got a, a, a year ago, these frontline workers were heroes. We were celebrating them. Uh, my daughter's an ER nurse, worked with COVID patients, law enforcement showing up doing their jobs at great risk, especially when we didn't know the extent of this virus. And now we're talking about firing them if they don't submit to a mandate for a shot. Yes. Tony, it is absolutely ridiculous. We need to realize COVID is going to be with us. We have seasonal flu. We have the common cold. We have other maladies that affect us. So this is going to be with us. Now, the federal government has no reason to mandate that everyone get this shot. And it is an overreach. It is another step that they're trying to take to have the federal government take control of your health care. And after meeting with some workers in Tennessee that would be adversely impacted by this, I said, we need to do legislation that would exempt these essential workers from having to get the shot because these are people that showed up for work every day during COVID. They figured out how to keep themselves safe, how to keep their families safe. They did their job. And now they're being faced with this mandate, right. whether they're a first responder, law enforcement, health care, airline, truck drivers, grocery store employees. And so many of them are saying, I don't want to take this. Right. I have concern. My family has a history of heart disease or uh, maybe it's a respiratory issue or a family member got the vaccine and had an adverse reaction and they're suffering from long COVID. These are things that should provide them an exemption. So on their behalf, and in order to help them, I wrote this legislation that would simply say, if you are an essential worker deemed so during the COVID-19 pandemic, and you reported for work during the pandemic, that you would be exempt from this vaccine mandate. I think it's an excellent bill. And by the way, it might add to this that many of these frontline workers, these essential workers, especially the healthcare workers, um, being exposed to COVID, got COVID, now have natural immunity, uh, and, and that's not even being factored in. Now, this bill already has been endorsed by numerous groups, including the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, National Border Patrol Council, Chicago Fraternal Order of Police, a National Sheriff's Association, a National Association of Small Trucking Companies. Um, what message should that send to the Biden administration? With all of these unions supporting my legislation, it should tell them that there is, this is very unpopular with Democrats, Republicans, independents, everyone, because there are so many people that do not want to be forced to get this vaccination. And we don't have these vaccination mandates. There is always the exemption from a medical concern or a religious objection. And that is the way this should be approached. So, Senator, has the bill been assigned a number yet? It has not been assigned a number, and we're waiting to see where they're going to direct it. All right. Uh, any Democratic support for this yet? Not yet. 
Right, what do our listeners and viewers need to be doing to help you on this? Because I think this is an important piece of legislation. It is an important piece of legislation. I will tell you that uh, Congressman Tim Burchett and Congresswoman Kat Kamak are going to carry this over in the House. And they need to let uh, them know that they're supporting. They need to call their federal uh, representatives and say, keep our essential workers working, support this legislation, and make certain that they are given this federal exemption. Right. That's the Keeping Our COVID-19 Heroes Employed Act. And, uh, Senator, as soon as we get, uh, as soon as you get a a number and we get a direction on what committee it's going to for the Committee of Jurisdiction, uh, we'll make sure that our viewers and listeners know that so that they can weigh in with their uh, two senators as well as their member of Congress. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Got it. Senator Marsha Blackburn of uh, Tennessee. So, um, Jot that down. As soon as we get that number, uh, we'll we'll get that onto the website and we'll uh, put that back out on the program. But uh, you don't have to have the number to communicate with your uh, member of Congress and your two senators. It's keeping our COVID-19 Heroes Employed Act. Now, I didn't get into all of the statistics, but you've got several uh, law enforcement agencies around the country where you have upwards of a third of those agencies are individuals who are not going to submit to this mandate. They have either have natural immunity or they have other concerns that they're not going to get the shot. Many of them are going to be forced to retire. Some are going to be forced to quit or they're going to be terminated. Just think, we're already in a year with historic rises in violent crime. What would this do? Well, I can tell you, it wouldn't look pretty. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about what happened in Loudoun County at the school board meeting last night. Meg Kilgannon is here. Don't go away. We're back with more right after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do. 
and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. The parents of Virginia... Loudoun County made their voices loud and clear during yesterday's school board meeting last uh, evening, with many calling for the resignation of the board members and the superintendent over the cover-up, cover-up, I mean, and I've, I've heard it with my own ears, of sexual assaults that were committed in the girls' restroom by a biological male wearing a skirt. Now, this is what one of the parents had to say last night. You just had hundreds of students walk out of the Loudoun County High Schools today because they feel unsafe in schools. You haven't listened to parents or students for years. And now the students feel as if walking out is their only choice to be heard. You've all spent more time cleaning up and covering up this mess than actually preventing it. Did any of you even respond to this email on May 28th from Dr. Ziegler? Or was that email just business as usual? Was that email alarming to anyone? Joining me now to talk about uh, yesterday evening's meeting and other developments in Loudoun County is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. All right, it was explosive on Capitol Hill. A lot of the focus today was on education and the October 4th memo, which Loudoun County was really at the center of that memorandum. Now, we know that there was a cover-up because on May 28th is when this assault occurred where a biological boy wearing a skirt assaulted, raped a girl in the girl's restroom. On June the 22nd, the superintendent was asked about this, and he said, I have no knowledge of any sexual assaults occurring. The reason was this would have derailed their gender-neutral bathroom policy. Right. And parents now know what they were doing. So what happened last night? And now it's undeniable. There was a FOIA request that revealed this memo that came out the day the assault happened in May that went to the school board members. So they were made aware that there had been an assault at that school. And so... The radio listeners couldn't see it, but that mother in the clip that you just played was holding a placard with a copy of that memo on it. 
basically saying to the entire school board, we know you knew and you said nothing. In fact, you hid it so you could pass your policy. So what did, what did parents call for last night? They called for the resignation of the superintendent, Mr. Ziegler. They called for the resignation of basically the entire board. I mean, the entire board is complicit in this. Does the superintendent resign? Uh, it's going to be hard for him to stay. I, I think that he, he, he could resign. I mean, they could fire him. <laughs> they could absolutely fire him. He serves at the pleasure of the board. So the board could do its duty as the governing body in that in that do, county. Do they do that him. to pacify the anger of the parents? I think they need to do it to have someone competent come in and be the superintendent of the. But this board looks very schools. political. They, they do, they do. But I don't think that that um, that letting him go it would come off as a political move because he's been caught in a lie. He's been caught in a cover-up. But since the parents are now going beyond the superintendent, because the school board knew this too, sure, they were informed by him. They didn't say anything in the June 22nd meeting either. So right. the parents want their resignations too. So do they use him as a, a scapegoat and, uh, and throw him out and say, we're firing him, hoping that that will satisfy the parents? They could. Um, they could do that. I think that some of them could say, you know, we got the memo saying that there, there was an assault reported or, you know, we weren't sure what it actually, actually happened and there was no follow-up. Some of them could get away with that kind of obfuscation. But um, certainly everybody is complicit in this situation. What will parents do next? What do they need to do if the, if the board does not respond and the superintendent does not respond? What, what other options are available? Well, we've seen the effectiveness of a recall campaign because one of the school board members there, Beth Bartz, was about to be recalled, and that, that process was moving through the courts, as it must in Virginia, and she just decided to resign. So I think when... When parents get together, and it's not just a matter of haranguing the school board members at the meetings, which is important, and I think they should do. You need to match that energy with actual names on the petition of recall that sh demonstrate that you're not happy with this person. They could not win re-election if, if they were on the ballot today because of the numbers you have, and make the case that they need to go. Of course, this situation is not... I mean, we're talking about Loudoun County, but this is an issue around the country because other schools have these bathroom policies, and who knows what other incidents have been covered up or what incidents may occur in the future because of these policies. Another option, um, I would assume, would be for parents to take their kids out of the public schools because, generally speaking, I, I'm not sure exactly the funding mechanism in Virginia, but I know in my home state that the money follows the student. If the student leaves the school, the school's not going to get the money from the state. Right. This, the funding mechanism isn't exactly the same in Virginia, but it definitely is based on enrollment. So at, uh, students that are disenrolling will mean that the, the the county is going to get less money from the state for sure. Yeah. So that's always an option. Um, but even if you do pull your kids out and, uh, you know, sometimes you're in a situation where that is your only option, you can't remove yourself from the political process. Right. In, uh, no, I, I, I get that. But uh, we've got to stay involved. But sometimes the situation is so bad that we uh, – we we can't allow our children to stay into these in these situations where they're being indoctrinated and the i mean the, the brazen nature 
of the educational establishment as if they're offended that parents want to be involved in the education of their children. How dare we? Yes, and I think that mother summed it up well when she said, you know, you spent more time covering up for yourselves than you spent trying to get to the bottom of what happened in that bathroom or trying to figure out how kids can be safe at school. Yeah. And that really is the way people are feeling out there right now. Uh, Very quickly, Meg, um, this is spilling over into the governor's race there that's coming up in uh, that elections next week in uh, Virginia. It is. It is. And um, Terry McAuliffe keeps keeps doubling down on the fact that he does not want parents to be involved in their children's education. And um, I hope he says it a lot because people see that for what it is. Well, those parents not only need to be involved in education, but they need to be involved in his They need to vote. Election. <laughs> That's right. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, folks. And we'll be uh, continuing to track what's happening there in Loudoun County and literally around the country in public education. Lots of resources available for you at our website. Go to TonyPerkins.com and you can follow the links over. Well, finally, my good friend Kelvin Cochran, who uh, saw this radical agenda coming all the way back in 2014 when he was fired as the fire chief for Atlanta for the fire department there, he, uh, he, he was fired for writing a devotional book for men, for his church, a, a Bible study group that he had. It was called Who Told You That You Were Naked? Now, we call it naked down in the South. But this was focused on basically morality for men. But it happened to have about a page, maybe a page, half a page, regarding homosexuality. And he was fired. Well, now he has a book telling that story, Facing the Fire, the faith that brought America's fire chief through the flames of persecution. Chief Kelvin Cochran joins me. Chief, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. It's good to see you, my friend, and it's great to be with you on Washington Watch. And I failed to mention you're now vice president over at our uh, our allied organization, ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom. Yeah, isn't it just like God to create such a story where I was once a client and now a senior fellow and vice president. And so um, I'm just uh, overjoyed about this opportunity, Tony. Well, let's first, I want to hear more about that, but let's talk about uh, the book. This is your story. Tell our listeners about it. Yeah, Facing the Fire is a God-sized story, I call it. It's a testimony of uh, the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God for his sons and daughters when they face the fire of persecution. Uh, it really tells an overview of what happened to me in Atlanta. Uh, but Tony, when I was terminated, like people that have a near-death experience, say their life flashed before their eyes. Uh, my life flashed before my eyes. God showed me that from the time I was a little boy, he had been preparing me for that moment my entire life. So facing the fire is a walk of faith from how God prepared me from a child uh, through my young adult years uh, through my experiences as a firefighter, being one of the first African-Americans on the Shreveport Fire Department, I had several fires throughout my life that prepared me for the big mama jamma fire of being terminated and how the faithfulness of God was with me. And I believe it will encourage other believers. Well, it's And that's just kind of like the story of David when he faced Goliath. It was uh, the, being delivered from the pole of the lion and the bear that prepared him to face off with uh, Goliath. That's exactly right. And, you know, Tony, I'm seeing that that plays out in many of the, our biblical heroes and sheroes. 
that it, God uses earlier stages of challenges to pre- prepare them for a major challenge. And it's playing out in my life. And I believe it's playing out in the lives of other Christians. God is equipping us as American believers to have the courage and grace to stand. And I'm grateful that my testimony can help uh, to do that. Well, Chief, I think it's very timely because as we were just talking about what's happening in public education, uh, we know teachers, uh, we know coaches right there in Loudoun County that have uh, been terminated or fighting for their jobs because they've they've stood up to the same thing you did as the fire chief. They've they said, look, I'm not going to I'm not going to lie to my children, uh, the students that I have using false pronouns or playing this game. Uh, and, and as a result, they've lost uh, their positions. And so they're, in fact, Alliance Defending Freedom is actually representing some of them, as you know. Uh, were, did you ever think we would be at this point when you were squared off with the, the city of Atlanta that it would get to this level? No, I never thought, especially in the United States of America, Tony, that we would be at this level. We've heard the horrific stories of Christians being persecuted far worse than American Christians are. Uh, But we never thought the scale that we're seeing it, even on this level, termination from your employment, losing your business, uh, losing contracts, just for living out your faith. I never imagined uh, that it would happen in our country. The truth of the matter is there are worldly consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. But the part that most believers are not aware of is that there are kingdom consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. And the kingdom consequences are always greater than the worldly consequences. But if we don't have the courage to stand like Tanner Cross and the other teachers in Loudoun County, we'll never see what the kingdom consequences look like uh, if we don't have the courage and grace to stand. Uh, That's good. Is that in the book? Yes, that's in the book. <laughs> I hope so, because if not, you missed it. Uh, that was uh, so. So let me ask you that question. You know, and I've we've had many, many conversations, and uh, you know, I, I was down in Atlanta uh, right after that uh, thing blew up there f- for you because I, I admired the courage that you have shown. But it's not been an easy journey. It's been a difficult journey. Knowing what you know now, having experienced what you experienced. Would you do anything differently? I absolutely would not do anything different, uh, Tony. And let me just express my gratitude to you for showing up at the at the Georgia State Capitol, uh, that religious liberty rally, and standing beside me at that podium, appealing to Mayor Reed to put me back to work. Uh, unfortunately, it did not uh, inspire him to do that. But I'm so grateful even today for you standing beside me and being there. Uh, but... You know, the, 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 the situation that we're facing today, uh, with, of course, cancel culture was new on the scene when I was terminated. Uh, but it's increased at such an alarming rate, uh, that many Christians are afraid to live out their faith for fear of the consequences, uh, that they might face. Uh, it's really an occupational hazard, uh, to be openly Christian today in the United States of America. But I believe what we're seeing is a groundswell of uh, common, everyday teachers and firefighters and common people who stand firm on their convictions, rising up together in unity. And I believe that's going to turn things around in the community of faith here in the United States. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Courage breeds courage. That's why I'm so glad you've written this book. Tell 
our listeners how they can get a copy of it. Uh, you can obtain a copy of Facing the Fire uh, on Amazon, Books of Million, uh, those common uh, online outlets, and kelvincochran.org is my website. You can also access a copy and even additional information uh, about Facing the Fire on my website, kelvincochran.org. Chief, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you. All right, brother. And I would encourage you to get a copy of that book. It's an encouraging story, an incredible story, but I so admire the chief for his courage. In fact, I was I was on Capitol Hill today speaking. I did a devotional for the uh, for a group of uh, Republican lawmakers and actually quoted from Paul when the Lord spoke to him when he was in Corinth and told him, he said, you know, do not fear. Speak up. Do not be silent. That's the that is how we respond to the cancel culture. Paul faced it in his day. The chief faced it. You may face it. We all are facing it. We cannot be silent. We have to speak up. And uh, I thank you for joining us. Join us again tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, for our Pray Vote Stand. That's at prayvotestand.org. And let me leave you with this, another word from the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.